Hello again, everybody, and welcome into another edition of Political Beats, a presentation of National Review. You can find us on Twitter at political underscore beats. Don't forget to subscribe to our feed. New episodes most Mondays on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or TuneIn. Plus, right there at nationalreview.com on the podcast section with uh, lovingly handcrafted show notes each and every week from Jeff. All our episodes are up there as well. Uh, my name is Scott Bertram. You can find me on Twitter at Scott Bertram. My tag team partner standing by, as always, Jeff Blair. Jeff. I'm actually not really here. This isn't really happening. What you are listening to is, in fact, a cunning facsimile of me, uh, a reinterpretation of me, if you will. It sounds better than the original. If I if I had to go out and make a call, better than the original. You wound me. Oh, God. So what's Jeff talking about? Well, this is episode number 26, if you're counting at home, of Political Beats. And we figure every now and then um, we can do something a little bit different while still incorporating some of our fabulous past guests on the old podcast to explain exactly what's going to be happening here on episode 26 of Political Beats. Uh, Jeff will, will lead the way. Well, uh, you know, oftentimes... Not oftentimes, every time. The show is based around a, the, the format where we have a guest. They talk about their favorite artist. We go on in that. We do a little discographical exploration. We talk about what's good, what's bad. But this time, we're going to do something a little different. And uh, we're going to talk instead about our favorite cover versions. Because, you know, cover bands, cover songs are some of the greatest pleasures in all of pop and rock music. And uh, it's oftentimes a situation where uh, a band will have just a fantastic cover song, but maybe they're not, you know, the kind of band that would end up showing up on this show. <laughs> right. Uh, but, you know, I mean, there are going to be quite a few groups ranging from everything from Fairport Convention to The Birds to Stevie Wonder to heck, you know, maybe we'll find a way to work in that Black Crows version of Hard to Handle. We're going to try to get them in at some point. This is a show devoted to what we, Scott and I, think are some of our all-time favorite cover songs. And those songs can be favorites of ours for a whole yes. host of different reasons, you know, whether they're massive, you know, from the ground up reinterpretations that throw out everything that you were familiar with in the original and reconstruct from the bottom up, or maybe they're just really faithful interpretations that blow the original out of the water, or maybe they're genre hopping where, you know, one of them starts as an R&B song and ends up as a country song or vice versa. There's so many different reasons why a great song in one artist's mouth can turn into a fantastic cover song in another artist's mouth. And that's what we want to discuss today. And as we will mention, we also canvassed all of our former guests on political beats and got a fantastic response uh, from nearly every one of them. Um, we probably won't be able to mention what every single song that all of them named on the show today, but they'll end up in the show notes so that you can find out what they think are the ones that you should single out. Uh, this is going to be a heck of a lot of fun. This is the one for all the lost dogs, the great cover songs, the, the little ones that sometimes can slip through the cracks. Uh, but I'm still holding out hope that we're going to do that Al Green episode, <laughs> that, that Husker Do episode. So don't just take this as uh, a way of us to concede that because we mentioned them here today, we won't come back around to them again later on. And uh, I want to uh, uh, just emphasize one point you made, which is that this is an episode of our 
favorite cover songs, which is different than trying to tell you these are the best cover songs. We're not listing them one through ten. We're not judging them on purely artistic merit or saying this is the best cover song you could possibly do. No, it's favorite. And so all of our guests who have been on the show before have different reasons for saying these are their three favorites. Uh, Jeff and I have different reasons for saying these are our favorites. Not, I mean, we think they're good, obviously, but we're not necessarily laying down the gauntlet that these are the best of all time, although perhaps that list would, would kind of, you know, you'd have a few songs on each of those lists, uh, appearing on both of those lists, I should say. But we're It's saying fair to favorites. say that we did not pick any actively bad covers here. Correct. There will be no excerpt <laughs> of Britney Spears singing Satisfaction on this show tonight. Um, no, I'm just double-checking lists. I don't think that showed up anywhere on the on the, on the the favorite list as far as Thank I Thank God. So... I guess we can, let's get started. Um, again, favorite cover songs. Jeff, go ahead and kick us off. Well, we're going to start in probably the least characteristic and least expected place you could ever imagine us to start. When you're thinking of great cover songs, you're probably thinking of things like, oh, you know, Talking Heads doing Take Me to the River. You're probably thinking of, you know, Stevie Wonder, or maybe Wilson Pickett. Or a hundred other things that you could go with to open up. Nah, nah, we're going to throw you a curveball. Both Scott and I found that we consider Peter Gabriel to have done two of our favorite cover songs of all time. And that's where we're going to start. Scott, of all things, why is Peter Gabriel, arty, <laughs> weird, icy, British, proggy Peter Gabriel, one of your favorite cover artists, and explain the song to us. Yeah, so I, I know you're, you're not holding out hope. I think you will demand at some point a Peter Gabriel episode of Political Beats, so this is by no means putting Peter Gabriel in the rearview mirror. But oh, no. um, he has a a, a, a a covers album called Scratch My Back, and you were explaining this to me at one point, and you can expound, but there, he, he was going to do an album of covers, and other people were going to cover his songs. It was like Scratch My Back and I'll Scratch Yours, something along those lines. And I don't, don't know right. if that entirely came to fruition. But the album that Peter Gabriel ended up putting out is really outstanding. And you and I both have a song from that album on our list. And, and the one that I have is Book of Love, which is a, a Magnetic Fields song originally. And I must tell you, I, I, I don't love the original version. I think it, it's good. I don't I'm, I'm not, yeah, I'm not, no, I agree. I'm not in love with it. This version of, of Book of Love by Peter Gabriel, it's not just striking to me. I was tooling around YouTube. One version, and there are multiple versions of, of the song, or multiple copies of, of the song, one version has 16 million YouTube views, and another one has 4 million. So millions of people apparently think this is a good cover song, and, and I absolutely agree. Uh, the song, which the Magnetics Fields version, slow, uh, kind of dirgy, and certainly a, a much more uh, bass-intensive vocal, is transformed by Peter Gabriel into this... A string-based song, subdued vocals in in the verses, and, and then a soaring chorus. And this song hits virtually every emotional cue for me that I can that I can describe. I actually tried to convince my well then fiance to include uh, this version of Book of Love at our reception. I was <laughs> I was voted down on that. So Book of Love by Peter Gabriel, not at the Bertram wedding reception. But I, I love the way it builds. I love the way this one just, as I said, it, it tugs on every emotional cue I have to kind of uh, relate and, and emote along with Peter Gabriel. The Book of Love has music in it. 
In fact, that's where music comes from. Some of it's just transcendental. Some of it's just really dumb. But I, I love it when you sing to me, and you, you can sing me anything. I, it's, I think a vast improvement on the original. And, and truly one of my favorite cover songs. Okay, you know, it's funny how you talk about you like the cover and you don't necessarily like the original. Because I'm actually not a huge, this is obviously maybe a subject for our eventual Peter Gabriel episode. I'm not a huge fan of Scratch My Back overall. Mm-hmm. But there's another song on that album, not the one I'm about to cite as my favorite, that is in the same category for me. It, which is uh, Listening Wind. He does a cover of Listening Wind by the Talking Heads. Uh, and I love Remain in Light, but I think Listening Wind is, is one of my less, least favorite songs on the album. It, it's very flat. It, it doesn't have – David Byrne doesn't sing it with the, the right, I think, tone, the right emotion. Uh, but I love Peter Gabriel's very disturbed and kind of orchestral take on that song. Uh, those two songs, The Book of Love and Listening Win, I think are real triumphs from that album. The rest of it I'm not so, so sure about, with one exception. <laughs> and that exception is the first song that I will mention is one of my favorite covers, which is his version of Heroes by David Bowie. David Bowie himself has a long and somewhat checkered history of cover songs. Uh, not a lot of them are very good. Uh, Wild as the Wind is probably the one I would say is the best. Uh, so I think it's really ironic. And, and the worst Peter, would be the worst would be maybe dancing in the street, perhaps <laughs> with Mick well, Jagger. You say that I would actually say some of those Iggy <laughs> Pop covers from uh, "Let's Dance" and "Tonight." The original version of "China Girl" is a masterpiece, and then the super big hit single version on "Let's Dance" is, in my mind, an abomination. <laughs> so yeah, that's where I stand. But you know, it's ironic that Peter Gabriel chose to cover David Bowie, and. They have never entirely overlapped as artists. They've never actually collaborated together, but they have one point that unifies them, which is Robert Fripp, Mm -hmm. which is precisely why I would have thought initially that a cover of Heroes, one of David Bowie's most quintessential songs, was utterly doomed, which is that the original version of Heroes relies so heavily upon Robert Fripp's guitar, that vol-planing guitar that slides up and down. It just dominates the song. It creates that, that sense of heroism. Uh, however much Bowie might have wanted to sort of set it off in ironic quotation marks, that defines what makes the piece great. So when Peter Gabriel does an orchestral, purely orchestral version of that song, the arrangement could have been an absolute maudlin, glurgy disaster. Instead, it is one of the most moving, fully orchestral arrangements of a rock song I have ever heard. And that moment where he finally it builds up in you know we can be heroes just for one day and then it goes into i i can remember standing by the wall you know and the guards shot above our heads it was just uh such a shocking recontextualization of what i had been familiar with my entire life in the original bowie version Remember 
and the guns shout above our heads, and we kiss. I, I was blown away by it, and then I was even more blown away by it when I heard uh, Stranger Things, the Netflix TV series, uh, use it in their show to just magnificent effect um, uh, in the first season. If you, if you go watch Stranger Things, they use it in a way – I don't really want to spoil it, but they, they, they <laughs> use it perfectly. They use it absolutely perfectly, and it's probably one of my favorite uses of a rock song in a modern TV show for that matter. But yeah, it you're really risking something when you try to do a song as iconic as Heroes, and it, it is entirely to Peter Gabriel's credit that he brought it off so well. And uh, speaking of TV shows, should mention as well the uh, Peter Gabriel version of Book of Love is in the final, uh, what, what should have been, or could have been the series finale of Scrubs, which was a nice little TV show, and they, they brought it back after that, I think, on a different network, and they had, you know, like, new Scrubs, young Scrubs, and but, the, like, the, the last episode of the original Scrubs run, uh, the final few minutes was set to Peter Gabriel's Book of Love, which might have been one of the first times I, I heard it, so, you know, TV... But didn't that episode also have the acoustic version of Hey Ya? I don't remember. The one with the one where they're getting married in Hawaii and like you know there, there's a boy talk about famous cover versions there's a YouTube sensation there's this guy um you know who does like an acoustic guitar performance of Hey Ya which I very nearly put on my list but you know they're not <laughs> the guy never did anything else and uh it showed up in you know a perversion performed by a cast member the same kind of a thing so yes i think wonky cover versions was something that scrubs like to do <laughs> they use music very well and you know to that end a little off topic you know um my wife enjoys and many uh, people enjoy uh this is us this is us also uses music really wonderfully they, they used um uh, without you, the, the song uh, Harry Nilsson made famous, but they used the original Badfinger version, which I loved. So even if I don't like the show, I love their use of music. <laughs> yeah, I've never seen a single episode in my entire life. Yeah, you're not missing a, a, a ton. I mean, it's all right. It's like uh, someone had written. It's like it's like emotional porn in that it, it knows exactly how to make its viewers uh, respond in, in, in an emotional way. Uh, nothing like some cynical manipulation. Yeah. Yes. yes. Um, all right. So moving on. We, we um, this is one I know. I, I believe we're going to fight a, a bit on. And, and, uh, Jay Cost, one of our previous guests, he was on and do the Kinks, mentioned one of his three favorite cover songs was Joe Cocker uh, doing Feeling All Right, which is a good choice. Uh, on my list, though, of favorite covers is Joe Cocker's version of a Beatles song, which is With a Little Help from My Friends. I have nothing against the original Beatles version with Ringo Starr singing. 
I think Joe Cocker, though, takes it, and, and as he did with many songs throughout his career, taking someone else's work, and, and Rod Stewart does this too, taking someone else's work and, and really making it completely his own. I just love this version of With a Little Help from My Friends. I think it's one of the most successful, uh, co- not in commercially, but just successful in terms of, of accomplishing exactly what the artist wants to do with the song. You turn With a Little Help, sung by Ringo, into this old soul standard, this this slow burn uh, of a song. And as anyone who's seen the Woodstock footage uh, knows, Joe Cocker gives every ounce of himself to the vocals in this particular track. I love the drums. I love that big, that, that huge drum kick into the chorus each and every time. What would you do if I sang out of tune? Would you stand up and walk out on me? Lend me your ears and I'll sing you a song I will try not to sing out of key Oh baby, how I All I need is my body I say I'm gonna get I love the, the female ba- backing vocals that go back and forth with Joe Cocker, especially toward the the, the back half of the song. And uh, boy, I, I think this is uh, again one of the be- most successful attempts at a cover. Uh, and it helps, as we mentioned, TV. I suppose uh, people who watch The Wonder Years every yes. single week exposed to Joe Cocker and with a little help from my friends. And I don't discount the the impact that had on some people who really enjoy the song as well. But for me, taking that, that kind of sledgehammer to the original song and not messing uh, not messing its its intent and not messing its lyrics, but really rebuilding it into something that worked specifically for Joe Cocker and the way he was going to deliver it was as a, as a home run. There's a general sense that the version of a song that you hear first is the one you end up liking the most. I don't actually think that that was the case with with a little help from my friends, because of course I grew up with the Wonder Years version. That was the first version that I heard because mm-hmm. the Wonder Years ran in like the late eighties, early nineties. This is before I discovered the Beatles. Hard as it may be to believe, I actually had not heard the the Beatles version of With a Little Help from My Friends until about the mid nineties or so. Um, that you know, I, I'm going to say what I said in our emails when we did our pre-show <laughs> setup here. I said I think this is an adequate cover. It's adequate. It is not nearly as good as Ringo's original. There is a certain pathos that comes from Ringo singing, you know, what would you do if I sang out of tune? Would you stand up and walk out of me? Lend me your ears and I'll sing you a song. And I'll try not to sing out of key because he's Ringo. He's the fourth Beatle. He's the one who's not the singer. He's not the songwriter. You know, everybody, you know, the, the rap the wrong rap on him is like oh yeah he's the beetle who least deserves the fame which is if you know anything about drumming is stupid <laughs> but it still is the rap on him so when he sings like yeah i'll get by with a little help from my friends and then you hear john paul and george singing yeah, do you need anybody and ringo's like i just need someone to love that to me is immensely moving and joe cocker has no problems singing joe cocker has no problems with confidence uh, he seems to not even mind the fact that he stumbles around on stage like a drunk <laughs> as he performs a drunk who who twisted his ankle and is just shambling about you know i mean that's the classic joe cocker thing you know every time you see uh, a hobo stumbling down the street you think oh <laughs> is that joe cocker it could be 
could be, you know, Mad Dog's an Englishman, you know? Yes, so that's why, with a little help, my friends, the Joe Cocker version doesn't do it for me the same way that it does it for you. I'll also point out that while I like the singing, the, the, the girls, the backup vocalists on the chorus, I do not like their call and response, hmm. uh, the way they do the call and response to Cocker, nearly as much as I like the Beatles version of it. I, I find it to be chintzy. It doesn't work for me at all. And so, like, you know, w- what we're doing here, this is the section of the show where we're talking about famous Beatles covers. We're starting with Cocker. We disagree on this. I know I'm in the minority because, like, not only, you know, Scott, but other members of the former guests that we canvassed mentioned Cocker's version of With a Little Help from My Friends, but you're all wrong. And I don't consider I don't consider the Beatles version to be inferior. I, I mean, I consider it like a totally different song. Yes. I Fair really enough. do. And so I, I, I like the, the Beatles version. But the version Cocker version is also inferior, just to be clear. <laughs> what is not inferior is another song that curiously didn't make it to any of our guests' actual – we asked them to name their top three songs. And it didn't make it on any of their lists, but at least four, I believe, of our guests – I'll have to go back and check – said – cited this song as like an honorable mention <laughs> – like, I think they, they were afraid to mention it because they thought it would be too obvious to pick. Well, <laughs> I am not afraid of obviousness. I'm going to pick this. This is, in my opinion, one of the f- three or four best Beatles covers of all time, and it is Stevie Wonder doing We Can Work It Out. Stevie Wonder's version of We Can Work It Out is amazing because can you say that it totally replaces the original song – no, you can't because the original version of We Can Work It Out, I mean, the original version of all these Beatles songs, are, they're, they're monuments. They're going to live on forever. They're all magnificent songs, and they all have complete, unquestioned validity within the Beatles canon. And yet, Stevie Wonder's version of We Can Work It Out is a, as you just said, a total recasting. It takes this very kind of you know contemplative pop song that you know is based around harmonium of all things and turns it into a fantastic soul rave up number Mm -hmm. from 1969 1970 i think is when it came out one of the greatest cover songs of all time a song that i will literally go to my grave never getting tired of of sing of hearing i literally when i'm in when i'm in the bed you know i got the iv jacked into my arm and i'm on my last legs i'm gonna tell the nurse and my wife Please put on We Can Work It Out. That's the song I'm kind of going to want to listen to as I make my transition. It is that beautiful, that optimistic, that upbeat. What a great reinterpretation. Try to see things my way. Do I have to keep on talking till I can go on? I see it your way. On the risk of knowing that my love may soon be gone. saying you can get it wrong and still think that it's all right think of what i'm saying we can work it out and get it straight or say good night we can work it out we can work it out life is very short and there's no
I don't know if you can call a Beatles track underrated because everyone rates them highly. I've always liked We Can Work It Out seemingly more than other people do. So Stevie Wonder taking it on and succeeding to the extent that he does is fantastic. As you said, it really it doesn't you know recast it. It's 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 a it's a relatively faithful cover, but with Stevie Wonder's groove, it is and the soul vocals it, yeah. and the life is very short. Yeah. Those those almost hysterical soul vocals in the background. Oh God, it's so good. Absolutely, and, and you've got you have one more here, right? Yes, we do. Uh, we're in the Beatles phase here. There's one other <laughs> Beatles cover that I just don't even think we could do this entire show without mentioning, uh, which is Wilson Pickett's cover of Hey Jude. Hey Jude. Oh, man, if I had to say what we you know, hey, Jeff, what's your favorite Beatles song? Beatles, in my opinion, are objectively the greatest band that has ever existed. Uh, are they my favorite? No, at this point, I have other favorites, but they're still objectively the best. And Jeff, what's your favorite Beatles song of all time? Well, I could mention a lot of other ones. I could mention You Never Give Me Your Money. I could mention a lot of other things. But ultimately, I might mention Hey Jude. So again, you're taking on one of the greatest songs ever written <laughs> by one of the greatest bands of all time. And Wilson Pickett's sole remake of Hey Jude with Dwayne Allman of the Allman Brothers on amazing guitar. This fantastic guitar solo in the playout is just another one of these signature covers that everybody thinks of when they think of, well, what is, what is a truly great reinterpretation of it? Nobody else should ever bother to cover Hey Jude. <laughs> Wilson Pickett did it. Dwayne Allman was there playing guitar. What are you going to add? Hey Jude, don't make it bad. Take a sad song, make it better. I will only add that Hey Jude is currently one of my favorite Beatles songs because my son enjoys singing it. He's four years old, so he enjoys getting into Hey Jude and also Let It Be. The you know the late era McCartney stuff apparently is what my son is digging these days as he approaches mm -hmm. birthday number five. So I'll have to perhaps take out the Wilson Pickett version and see if he enjoys that one better. <laughs> <laughs> Political Beats, Scott Bertram, Jeff Blair. Uh, find us online at political underscore beats. Uh, of course, add your voice to the conversation if you like, as we spend this episode talking about our favorite cover songs and interspersing the contributions of past guests and their choices for favorite cover songs. Speaking of past guests, Tim Miller, who was on early in the process talking about Arcade Fire. His list of his favorite cover songs includes one that mirrors one on my list, and that is the Talking Heads doing Take Me to the River, the Al Green tune. I love Take Me to the River so much. And I, I appreciate Talking Heads now more than I did some years ago. But t Take Me to the River was always one that was a favorite of mine. And they take what is already a great Al Green song. I love Al Green's version of Take Me to the River as well. 
but they slow it down to a plod and play only what is necessary to make the song work while still keeping its its funk that Al Green lent to it. Uh, this allows, I think, David Byrne, one of his best vocal performances, the way he twists yeah. those words, especially River. If you Al Green's version, it's like, you know, take me to the river. It's just river. And Byrne stretches that out into almost two words. Take me to River. The river. Fabulous. And uh, I know you uh, are a fan of a great pre-chorus, and this has a great pre-chorus. The I want to know, won't you tell me, I am I in love to stay before you get to the take me to the river uh, home run chorus. Um, it, it, it's a, you know, it sounds like it belongs to the Talking Heads canon, uh, even while reminding you of how great the original Al Green version is. Uh, absolutely one of my favorite cover songs. And the funny thing about the original Al Green version, when you go back, like maybe like you, I don't know. I think like most people, I heard the Talking Heads version first, yes, right? Yes. And it is this just, you know, very, you know, again like a like a Colossus bestriding the land. Yes. It slopes, you know, <laughs> those percussion, you know. I mean, it's so purposeful and slow, and it just takes the time. It feels so certain of itself. And then you go back and you listen to the original Al Green version, which is off of uh, Al Green Explores Your Mind. By the way, great album title, Al Green Explores Your Mind. Uh, it's such a humble song. It's a, it's a very kind of a quick yes. and kind of you know boppy, kind of like, yeah, take me to the river, wash me in the water. It, it doesn't have any of the the bombast. Let's be honest. This is the Talking Heads at their most bombastic. Might be ironically bombastic because you know irony was never very far from whatever the Talking Heads were doing. But yeah, magnificent cover and one that many of our guests mentioned as well. Hard to argue with anything they're saying about that. And the thing I want to go into next, and I think you know Al Green uh, himself was no chump. When it came to being a magnificent cover artist, in fact, uh, Al Green, uh, just you know, lay my cards on the table here. Another guy who I really look forward someday to doing an episode about because I love him. He's probably my favorite soul singer, pure soul singer of all time. Uh, Stevie Wonder, I, I, I don't think of as as a soul guy. I think he kind of crossed over into pop, you mm -hmm. know. And I think to me, it comes down to say Al Green versus Marvin Gaye versus James Brown, and, and Green's my favorite. Uh, what Green was great at is not just writing fantastic songs, um, which he did so many of. Uh, Let's stay together, of course, is the one that everybody knows. Uh, he was just a brilliant 
connoisseur of a great cover. And my favorite cover of his, he's done so many great ones, was one that he stole from country music. It's Funny How Time Slips Away Mm -hmm. by Willie Nelson, of all people. Now, Willie Nelson's original version of Funny How Time Slips Away, I think a lot of people might argue that that could be one of Willie's best ever songs. And I I wouldn't argue with that. But what Al Green does is he takes this very kind of thoughtful, sad, and ruminative song about you know the passage of time and, and the way you know the intensity of love fades over time and, and you think about how you've aged and, and how those things that seemed so important to you at one point uh, don't feel quite the same uh, as they do you know when you're 10 years on you're 20 years on and he cast it into this soul milieu that is just so perfect for the song and it sounds like as if it was written for a soul group It is so funny. Al Green did a lot of interesting covers. You know, he he, he did covers of other soul songs like I Can't Get Next to You. We're going to talk about The Temptations later. That's a complete recasting of The Temptations version, but it's still you're doing an R&B song in a different kind of R&B style. He did a version of The Doors Light My Fire, for crying out loud. <laughs> that was – I'm still not convinced it entirely works. He did The Bee Gees. Um you know, how can you mend a broken heart? But the best cover he ever did was taking a pure country song with Funny How Time Slips Away and making it equally as valid as a soul and as an R&B number. You know, the, the candles are burning. It's a slow burn song. His smooth, silky voice just rolls out the lyrics. And it sounds, again, like it was written for an urban context, not, you know, some Appalachian rustic thing. It is... A tribute to how you can take an actual song, the core of a song, and put it in anything. I think you could maybe take Funny How Time Slips Away and, you know, give it to Disturbed and make it a hard rock song. You know, like the way they did Sounds of Silence, right. you know, and they made it a hard rock song. And it could still work. But there's just nothing quite like hearing Al Green sing that. And he was such a great cover artist. And, and the production on that track, two things. I love the hi-hat right in your face in the front, yeah. in the front of the mix. And the way Al Green sings and the way that's produced, he sounds like he's right in your ear. This song yes. is only for you. <laughs> it's fantastic. It oh, it's fantastic, yes. Uh, and it's a great transition because the next thing we're going to talk about is the wild, wonderful world of Motown. What was Barry Gordy's motto? Don't bore us, get to the chorus. <laughs> All right? And so we're going to talk about a couple of our most favorite Motown covers. And, you know, Al Green may make a late appearance in this conversation, too. Scott, you go first. Well, there is a uh, track I want to mention is, uh, well, as the show indicates, one of my favorite covers of all time. Uh, But this one just hits hard. I love 
uh, Elvis Costello's version of pouring water on a drowning man. But be careful here. I don't want you to listen to the version on Kojak Variety, which there is so many outtake versions. Yeah, which is fine. I mean, it's, it's a fine version. I want you to go to disc two, the bonus disc from the I believe the Ryko disc, not the Rhino. The Ryko no, 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 disc. It's, it's the Rhino. It's, it's the, the Rhino. Rhino. You're right. You're right. You're right. Okay. The Rhino uh, reissue of Blood and Chocolate, and it's like ten tracks into disc two of the Rhino reissue of Blood and Chocolate. There is a version of Pouring Water on a Drowning Man, which is only Elvis and his guitar and a slight echo effect on both. This version is so direct. This version is so pure. Not just the guitar, where there's a, there's a slight false start at the beginning, which I which I love. You know, it's real. Uh, and I think it's one of Elvis's best vocal performances and what almost certainly was simply a demo. Um, I mean, it works as a song, but it's almost certainly just a demo of what he wanted to do with it later. Yeah, you know, it's studio warm. He played like seven songs in a row, yeah. and they're all covers. And I think he was just like warming up in the studio before he got ready to, you know, sing I, you know, uncomplicated or something like that. <laughs> but, you know, original uh, James Carr uh, is probably the most famous original. Percy Sledge did it at some point, too. You know, the lyrics about a, a just a, a, a man mistreated by his woman. Uh, you know, probably the, the key lyrics here, criticize my loving when I'm doing the very best I can. Uh, and it's all about, you know, the guy being being, you know, put down and and, you know, uh, by by his, by his woman. And um, Elvis just sings the heck out of this song. The original James Carr version is great. But this, again, is so direct and so pure you want me with your kisses then you leave me in the cold how can i know your wishes when i never been told won't you please It's, it's all you need is Elvis, his vocals, and the guitar to pull off a tremendous cover. Uh, again, make sure you have the right version, but a tremendous version, a version of pouring water on a drowning man. I, I, I just love it to death. You know, there's an entire subgenre conversation that could be had here about Elvis Costello covers. Mm -hmm. I'm not always... He does a, a tons of them, tons and tons of them in his concerts throughout his career. If you're a big EC fan the way I am, even and, counter these. They're all over his bone. The bonus tracks yep. on the various discs. Probably the most famous cover he ever did was actually "What's So Funny About Peace, Love, and Understanding," right. which people think of as an Elvis Costello original, but it's not. It's it's, an, it's a Nick Lowe song. And the other one um, that I love. I mean, he was doing covers from early, 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 early in his career, and good oh, ones. Yeah. I love his version of uh, Bacharach and David's. Um, I, I just don't know what to do. I with just myself. don't know what to do. With I myself. love it. Yes. That nearly well, made my heard, list. Have you heard Psycho? His version, of, yes. You know, oh, Psycho's Psycho, fantastic. Don't you, Mama? Oh yes. my lord. Yes. Oh yeah, that, that's a very creepy song. Uh, but I, you know, I think it's funny that some of his best covers are stowed away on these like bonus discs. <laughs> right. That, You've got to work. You bought them in the '90s. <laughs> good luck finding them. I, we, you know, Scott and I were joking about like we can't find the YouTube links to these things. Uh, there's one that I love. He did a song called "I Want to Be Loved" mm -hmm. on. Um, uh, 
on Goodbye Cruel World, his, his worst yeah. album. <laughs> it's like 1980. too. Very 80s that's, sound. That's my favorite thing. He writes the liner notes for all the, or the Rhino reissues. And the, Congratulations. The, yes. You've just bought our worst album. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but he says, he said it twice. He said it the second time it was reissued, too. <laughs> but I Want to Be Loved, the studio version that you can find on YouTube, it's, it's horrible. It's, it's, it's like 80s pop schlock. And then if you get the two CD reissue, this is, by the way, not a Motown single. This is from High Records. High Records is Memphis. It's the same label that Al Green was on. Mm-hmm. So it's got that sort of Memphis soul feel to it. Um, but it's just Elvis Costello sitting alone at a piano, you know, saying, you know, why must I be so lonely when so many people pass me by? And it is, again, you talk about, you know, he can really bring vocal power. And I think particularly his vocal strength comes to the fore more often when he's interpreting someone else's songs mm-hmm. because he's a little less self-conscious. My only, my, my critique of Elvis Costello is that he, he disappears up his, his posterior too often <laughs> uh, with his own lyrics. And so when he's singing soul lyrics from someone else, he gets much more soulful. So you find that, that uh, demo version of I Want to Be Loved, which I, is my version of pouring water on a drowning man. But getting back to the Motown theme here, there are, first of all, there are so many great talking about Motown covers is a strange thing because Motown famously had a factory of songwriters. Right. The artists didn't write their own music until you know Stevie Wonder and then later Marvin Gaye kind of asserted control and said like no 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 we're we're going to write our own music. Uh, so they had a factory and you know you had you know Norman Whitfield was I guess the greatest of them all I would argue uh, who did so many of the the best work for the Temptations. I was just thinking about this today and I was like you know the Temptations spawned so many you know not only classic songs in their own versions mm-hmm. but. Um, written by Whitfield and Strong, but that themselves went on to create great covers by other artists. I know you, Scott, perversely do not like the Rolling Stones version of Just My Imagination. (laughs) I do not. Uh, Yeah, I I don't understand why that could possibly be. But uh, unless you have no heart, you've got (laughs) to love Al Green's version of I Can't Get Next to You. And what we can all agree on is that Rod Stewart and the Faces version of I Know I'm Losing You is one of the most magnificent reinterpretations of a Motown song that has ever been put to wax. The Faces, a band I'd love to do someday. It's interesting that so much of their best work wasn't really released on their own albums. It's on BBC sessions, on singles and B-sides. And, you know, a lot of it ends up on Rod Stewart's early solo albums. This one was on Every Picture Tells a Story. Stewart's probably his his most well-loved album. Mm -hmm. That's the one that has Maggie May on it. Um, But have you ever heard... You know, Rod say, you know, my love, your love is fading. Oh, no, I'm losing you. Just the way the band kicks in on that groove is uh, truly something that every person must hear at one point in their life. Thank you. 
And the end of that song, and I had the drummer's name at some point, it's not at the tip of my tongue. What an amazing drum track on, uh, I know I'm losing you, including the end, when everything kind of drops out, and it's just the tambourine and drums before Rod comes back for one more chorus. Uh, it's incredible. And and Stuart, especially back then, an amazing Wait, Are you talking drummer. about the Faces drummer? That's Kenny Jones. And no, they played on that track. Did they, okay, if they played on that track, then yeah, that. Yeah, the, the faces. The, literally, the band just played. Every member of the band played on "I Know I'm Losing You," and they put it on Rod's album. Okay, and that's why they played it live all the time too. Gotcha. Yeah, it's great, great uh, version. Absolutely. One other thing I wanted to mention quickly before we move on from this soul Motown thing, and it was it's not on my top list, my favorite list, but it, I, I gave it honorable mention. And we have a guest who wants to do this band, so I don't want to spend too much time on it. But I, I'll mention the, the Blues Brothers here. And again, we're not saying best, because I don't think anyone would, would argue like it's the best version of these, these soul Motown tracks. But I just briefly want to say that without the Blues Brothers, I don't know when my musical window would have opened to all of this amazing music. I have watched the Blues Brothers movie more often than any other movie ever. And I've again, never seen it once. Oh, Isn't that funny? You should see it. You should see it. Isn't while, it weird? While listening to Rush. Last, last week I was talking about how I'd never heard a Foo <laughs> Fighters song, and, and I'm going to admit, I'm destroying my credibility one show at a time. I've never seen the Blues Brothers. I've seen clips, but, but that's you know, it. I mean, Kev Calloway's in the film, and Aretha Franklin, and uh, 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 you've got uh, Rich Charles. And Blues Brothers covering these tracks, and everybody needs somebody to love. And she caught the Katie, and they did Sam and Dave and Soul Man. Uh, and again, I'll save a lot of these thoughts. Hopefully, we'll we'll get to the that episode one day. But without the Blues Brothers doing these covers of this amazing music, I, I just don't know when that door would have opened for me. And that means I've had that much more time to love this music. So that's why I love the Blues Brothers. Um, political Beats, Scott Bertram, Jeff Blair. I'm at Scott Bertram on Twitter. He's at Esoteric CD. You can follow the show at Political underscore Beats. This episode, no political guests, although we are uh, have our choices from our previous political guests on the favorite cover songs of all time. There is one song, and one song only, that made it onto both my list and Jeff's list. And I, if I gave our listeners a hundred opportunities to guess which song it is they would never guess in a million years they would never guess it they would, not only would they not guess the artist who did it they wouldn't guess the original song <laughs> by true. the underlying that's artist right. even if we just said give us the original artist of the song that's on both of our lists they would a hundred times they would not get it uh i'll let i'm gonna let jeff take this one but i i, uh, I mean I'll, I'll toss in but i'll, I'll just kind of toss it off to you there's a, a band called self and the song is What a Fool Believes from the Doobie Brothers. And the uh, the hook here is it's from an album from this band Self where they, they played every song. No, no, song. wait, wait, wait. Go before on. you say anything else, yes. before you say anything else, I'm going to just ask our listeners, do you remember, dear listeners, when you, hopefully, maybe, maybe not, uh, as a child, you know, you were four years old, you were five years old, six, I don't know, seven, uh, and your parents bought you like a, a little Casio keyboard uh, to play on, like doo -doo 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 -doo. you know, it, you know it, it had like you know like you know, fifteen keys, <laughs> so, like nothing, uh -huh. or, or like one of those like goofy little like you know f you know fake electronic syndrome things, like boom ding ding ding, <laughs> or um, you know an electric a keytar. Or a, uh, guitar, a, or a, a xylophone with different colored uh, keys, right? A red, yellow, blue, green. 
Exactly. If you are like me, then you had that experience. My parents started me playing piano when I was like five years old, but I had, you know, the little Casio keyboards. Yeah, even their speak and spell for crying out loud was probably <laughs> used on this song because what this song is, is it is a full scale, brilliant, shiningly brilliant cover of one of the most uh, you know, structurally complex major hit singles, mm -hmm. I think. It's Steely Dan level, which is funny. You know, Michael McDonald of the Doobie Brothers sang on Asia by Steely Dan. This is a very, very well-written, complex song called What a Fool Believes, and I'm sure that you all know it, but it's played entirely on children's toys. Every single note you hear on the song instrumentally is from those old child drums, Casio keyboards, guitars, and things like that. And you would think, well, that, 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 that sounds like it would be awful, but it is the opposite of awful. It's one of the most transcendently brilliant moves I've ever heard in my life. The entire album is done that way, but the standout cover by far is What a Fool Believes. And it's the, the source material is great. You mentioned how, how complex the song is, but at its core, it, it is an undeniable pop hook with a huge melody that they take advantage of and self turns it into an even bouncier, more upbeat rhythm. It's on overdrive with these, you know, the children's toys being played. And I like this version of What a Fool Believes more and more every single time I hear it. And I think um, one of the things about it is that it, it reveals the lyric in a way that gets disguised by the original Doobie Brothers mm -hmm. version, which is so smooth and sort of late 70s cocaine chic, radio-ready, <laughs> you know, gloss that you miss out on how really probing emotionally that lyric is. It's one of those like heartbreaking songs about like uh, the example of a guy who – you really loved a girl and, and really was always just thinking about her all of his life. He finally meets up with her again. And then he finds out that, you know, oh, yeah, he never really meant anything to her at all. She's trying to politely disguise that. She doesn't want to hurt his feelings. Uh, but even though he knows somewhere deep down in his soul that that's, that's what the truth is, he's going to keep deluding himself. And that's what a fool believes. What a fool believes, you know, you know blind man has the power to reason away. And uh, the lyrics of that, to me, never really broke through until I heard Self, this band, Matt Mahaffey's band, uh, singing it in a more indie way. The lyrics were much clearer, and I think there's something about the rugged kind of DIY children's instrumentation version of it that, that cuts through to that far more. It does actually end up feeling in a good way i usually use this as a pejorative but in a good way kind of like you know like a brooklyn hipster take on this thing that really works
Do you recall, by the way, where you first heard it or found out about it? Because, again, it's kind of an odd out there song for both of us to have found and loved uh, somehow. I think if I'm guessing, if I'm guessing, I think I found it through the AV Club. That the Onions be. AV Club. Uh, there's, you know, there's a couple of music blogs I've followed through the years. I don't know if it came from there um, or it could have been the AV Club. But, man, yes, you hear it and it's, it's, it's fantastic. Fantastic. Um, let's see. Favorite cover songs is what we're doing on this episode. Um, and um, this one... Yeah. I love the cover song that is unexpected and is is not part of a not necessarily part of a cover collection, right? It's just it's just on the album. It's a part of an album. It feels natural. It's and organic. Least, it's organic. And at least for me, that is exactly what this choice is. I'm a huge fan of band out of Minneapolis, the Jayhawks, who had some level of commercial success toward the uh, you know the bottom end of the charts, and if you listen to uh, you know triple adult album alternative radio, you probably are familiar with the Jayhawks. And uh, tomorrow, the Green Grass is probably their best album from the, the mid '90s, and they have a cover uh, on that album which is right in the middle, and it fits right in. And if you're not paying attention, you just think it's another song written by Gary Lewis and 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 Mark Olson. And that is a cover of a song from Grand Funk Railroad, although at that point they were simply Grand Funk, I believe called Bad Time. Uh, went to number four in 75. I didn't realize it was that big of a hit to begin with. Um, but it is a song that fits exactly what that album is for the Jayhawks. I don't actually have a ton to say about it. It's a fairly faithful recreation of that Grand Funk song, but it fits like a glove. They add some some beautiful piano touches. Of course, with the Jayhawks, you're going to get great harmonizing, and, and that happens on Bad Time. But but really, it is just a, it's a perfect song for that band and a perfect spot on that album. And it feels like it fits it like a glove, fits the band and the album like a glove. And it, it's just it's it's flawless. My version of that exact same category would be uh, from one of my favorite bands, who I've actually just been listening to a lot of recently, too, uh, called The Minutemen. I think in our very, very first show, our Van Halen episode, <laughs> I, I, I name-checked The Minutemen because uh, the That's name right. of their yes. famous album, Double Nickels on the Dime, is uh, uh, kind of throwing shade at uh, <laughs> at our least favorite singer, <laughs> uh, Sammy Hagar from Van Halen, even as they cover a Van Halen song on that album. That's the thing about Double Nickels is that it's it's sort of a tour de force of you know compositional excellence by a band that was famous for like working like they call themselves the Minutemen because their songs were like <laughs> especially early on under a minute long, and yet they weren't just like you know blinding flashes of noise. They were 
very complex and compositionally thoughtful things. Math rock is the term that was used to describe them. Mm-hmm. Um, by the time of Double Nickels, they were expanding and they were throwing in covers too. And it was interesting the covers they chose that weren't what you would expect. On Double Nickels on the Dime, they, they did four covers. Uh, one of them was Van Halen's Ain't Talking About Love. Good song. Good version of it, too. Another one of all things was Steely Dan's Dr. Wu. Uh, <laughs> our friend Eli Lake uh, mentioned that they thought that was one of their best covers. Um, uh, but the one that I want to single out, because it's just perfect. It fits the Minutemen's uh, ethos in so well. It's a live version. So it has a sort of like, you know, it almost feels like it was recorded by bootleg cassette tape. It's their cover version of Creedence Clearwater Revival's Don't Look Now, it ain't you or me. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, uh, we talked about this when we did our CCR episode that I think that, you know, the Minutemen were a very political band. They were very, you know, uh, very much about working class, uh, you know, progressive, you know, the 80s version of, you know, liberal left wing progressive politics, but especially on a working man's level. And there's no song that I thought was a that I've ever thought that did a better job of encapsulating that and and, and selling that message uh, to to people without beating you over the head with it, Billy Bragg style, uh, than Credence's Don't Look Now, It Ain't You or Me. And their version, it isn't, you know, the Credence's version is very much of 50s kind of sun sessions, you know, Johnny Cash, Elvis, slapback, echo guitar thing. Mm-hmm. Uh the Miniman version is again, you know, heard through a smoky haze in a club. Uh, and you know, D Boone is the lead singer and guitarist, is not what you would normally characterize as a singer, so to speak. Uh, he's just sort of, you know, he grunts the lyrics out, but it comes together so well. The emotion and the conviction of them singing it is so perfect, and it fits in entirely with the overall you know, theme of the album, the way these songs are all juxtaposed and sequenced amongst one another, that it's one of those covers that I've just treasured since I heard it the first time. And I thought, well, that was brilliant. That was completely unexpected. Boy, they, they threw a big curveball at me, and I love that. So that's what I love about it so much. Uh, and speaking of Credence, um, James Polis, uh, one of our previous guests, we talked about the Eagles with him on his favorite cover list, uh, features Credence Clearwater Revival and a song you might know called I Heard It Through the Grapevine, which is a wonderful choice. I don't know if I it's mean, on anyone else's, but that's uh, a great cover. Not, not only is it a wonderful choice, it's, it's one of those choices that, like, you know, I remember when we did our Credence episode, I was like, well, what can you say about it? It's the first time Credence managed to jam on for 11 minutes and yeah. not bore you. But I'll also point out that another one of our guests, Ezekiel Kwaku, who just did Talk Talk with us recently, cited the Slits. Yes. Great punk band. Great sort of alt band. Um, their version of I Heard It Through the Grapevine is even better. It's three minutes long, and it brings the funk it's weirdly slick and sleazy and uh, down in the dirt. And there's just something about it that I, as much as I love the Creedence Grapevine, and of course I love Marvin Gaye's original, I think the Slits version is the best of those three versions. 
Um, we did an episode on the Kinks a while ago with Jay Cost, which uh, I really enjoyed because I'm a big fan of the Kinks. And one of my introductions to the um, uh, the weaving world of the Kinks, I mean, heck, they, they, a lot of detours and, and left turns and different sort of albums in their career. Um, one of my introductions was actually a compilation album called This Is Where I Belong, a tribute to the Kinks and, and Ray Davis, which uh, had to come out right around 2000, I think. Uh, it's long out of print, and I don't know if you can find many of the songs actually out there. But one of the songs I love uh, on that tribute album is by a band called Cracker. If you know them, you probably know Low, which was their big commercial hit. And they covered uh, Victoria from Arthur. And I think it might have been the first time I, I had heard the song. I do remember going out to buy Arthur, uh, the Kinks album, after hearing the Cracker version of Victoria. Cracker's a great band. I, I, I hope we do a Dave Lowry uh, uh, episode one day because you cover Camper Van Beethoven, which had many different uh, influences than, than his later band Cracker. Would Cracker, Camper Van Beethoven was ska and you know, Take the Skinheads Bowling. And they, they, did, oh, yeah. they, they did a great cover of, um, of um, uh, Pictures of Matchstick Men. Uh, as well on, on one of their late albums. And Cracker is far more uh, uh, Americana. There's a little country influence. It's it's just kind of heartland. I don't want to say heartland rock and roll. That's discounting it, but it, it's different. And so the influences they bring to Victoria are wide. Uh, Dave Lowry's vocals are nothing like Ray's, but I think he nails it. Johnny Hickman, who's uh, the only other constant member of Cracker, really is a great guitar player and does a smoking guitar solo on this version of Victoria. It's a fairly faithful interpretation. They keep that that dreamy sound of the bridge, the land of hope and glory of bridge. enjoy actually i enjoyed the whole album but especially this version of victoria from cracker which prompted me to go out and buy the arthur album which if i recall correctly i like a whole lot more than you do anyway <laughs> i would uh i would disagree with you about the the greatness of this cover for the simple reason that i'm always going to prefer the falls version of uh. victoria which i don't know if you're familiar with it was one of their 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 hit singles mm -hmm. in the uk only because the fall never made it in the united states for right. obvious reasons um but you know mark e smith who just recently passed away uh doesn't sing because he never sings marky e. smith was 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 not here to sing anything to you and if you felt otherwise then you know your mistake mate uh but he's he does a really good job of sort of speak singing the lyrics to it. And the band just cooks on a song 
that I do agree is, if not the best, at least the <laughs> second best song from an album, yes, Arthur, that I am famously not a fan of. But yeah, I, the Cracker version, and I hadn't heard it until you sent it to me earlier uh, this week. I think it's good. It, it's very, you know, it's very competent. They, they know how to play the song. They, they, don't, they, don't, they don't make a mash out of it. No. But I always like the weirdness of the Falls version a little more. And there's always a sense of fun with Cracker stuff generally, too, yeah. which then comes through. Yeah. I mean, I'm a, I'm a big Camper Van Beethoven fan, so like, I was hoping I would like it more than I did. <laughs> so, though, as far as late 60s songs are concerned, we're talking about the great hits of the 60s reinterpreted. Uh, there's another one that I think is even better. Oh, way, way, way better than Victoria. <laughs> we're gonna talk, if we're going to talk about you know, taking the kinks on, the Cracker cover is faithful. All right? Even the Falls version of Victoria is faithful. There is nothing that will get me quite as excited, and I periodically, like a like a like a repetitive moron, retweet this song out to all of my followers to force them to take it in. I will never, ever get over the greatness of Robert Wyatt's cover of "I'm a Believer" by the Monkees. Robert Wyatt, former drummer for Soft Machine. He was not a drummer at this point because he had fallen out of a window, um, a second-story window, and paralyzed himself from the waist down. So he was in a wheelchair, and so he was reduced to singing, playing keyboards, and you know he was very depressed. <clears throat> what am I going to do with my life? A lot of his friends, you know, he had tons of friends all throughout the English music scene. They all rallied. You know, they said, "Yeah, you know, you you still got another career ahead of you," which he does. He's still around. He's still making great music. He's done a lot of his cover of Elvis Costello's Shipbuilding is another one that that, that mm. could have easily made this list. But there's nothing that, that that quite beats the complete gonzo joy of Robert Wyatt with Phil Manzanera of Roxy Music on guitar recasting the monkeys version of I'm a Believer into a nineteen seventy-five era art rock prog rock song. Uh, of course the Monkees version was originally written by Neil Diamond, so whether you consider it a cover of the Monkees or Neil Diamond, that's up to you. I don't care. Neither version, as good as they are, is remotely a patch on this amazing piano-driven, psychedelic, art rock, space rock stomp. I demand that you drop everything that you are doing and listen to it right now. I, I must concur, and I hate to agree with Jeff, but it, it's a great version. That, that piano that carries the tune, the guitar squeal throughout, and it's not, 
I wouldn't say it's a faithful version, right? But it's not off the and it's reservation. It's got all the lyrics there. The got melody the lyrics, is the same. The melody is the same. <laughs> it all works, right? I mean, it, 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 you would certainly recognize it as, as being a, a, a cover of I'm a Believer, uh, hearing it, I think, even if you didn't hear the lyrics. I mean, that, that melody shines through. But it's, yeah, it's a, it's a great version. And the next time you, you retweet it, people should take advantage of the opportunity to give it a listen. Oh, it's just so rousing. You know, you hear the pan- the pounding you know, piano that opens it. You know, yep. dung, 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 bah, 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 bah. You, you're going to get up. You're going to listen to it. You're going to be stunned at how much you like it. And by the way, it's more proof that, that Neil Diamond he could write a song. Write a song. Yeah. No man doubt. was a good songwriter. Hey, speaking of great songwriters, uh, Political Beats here, Scott Bertram, Jeff Blair, uh, our guests this week are our former guests who are chipping in through the show with their picks uh, that they have submitted to us of their favorite cover songs as Jeff and I run through our favorite cover songs. Feel free to jump in at political underscore beats is how to interact with the show on uh, on Twitter. There's a couple of uh, songs in this basket that I want to kind of dig into. Uh, songs written by tremendous songwriters who were, who were taken, those songs taken and then, you know, perhaps made even better. One I want to mention and this is one that also is going to be very hard to track down for people, so apologies in advance. John Langford and Sally Timms. If you don't know John Langford and Sally Timms, they're from the band The Mekons, uh, who had a good run in the, in the UK through the 80s. Uh, great band. Great band, and uh, early 90s. And then John Langford moved to Chicago and plays in this uh, uh, alt-country c- kind of band called the Waco Brothers, who were also great. I've seen them in concert a few times. And Langford and, and Sally Timms did a did a six song EP for Bloodshot Records in the uh, early aughts, right around two thousand, called uh, "Songs of False Hope and High Values." And it was a limited run. I think there were only two thousand made. I do have one of the two thousand. Um, and <laughs> uh, I think three covers and three original songs. And one of the songs they cover uh, would would have a a place on my list, and I had this list at some point, of the saddest songs of all time. And it's written by one of the all-time great songwriters, in addition to being quite the philanthropist, as we've found out, or many people have found out in recent days, is Dolly Parton has now given away, what, a million books to kids across the country. Uh, Dolly Parton's song... I think it's more like a billion. A billion? Maybe. (laughs) Either way, it's impressive, right? Uh, Dolly Parton's song, Down From Dover. Yeah. So if you don't know this song, it's a you know it's a story uh, of a pregnant teenager who is rejected by both her lover and her family, kicked out. She takes this menial job. She keeps hoping that the father is going to come back, come down from Dover in time for the birth of of her of her child. And uh, spoiler alert: uh, no. at the end of the song, the the child turns out to be stillborn. And so there's, you know, the baby is gone and, and then the, the woman realizes, well, I guess he's not coming down from Dover. So there's no baby. There's no, uh, you know, there's no lover. There's no boyfriend. What, what is there? The family's rejected her. It's an incredibly sad song. And Sally Timms and John Langford take this and turn it into just a, a magical version. Sally Timms sings doing her best Dolly, although with a, with a, with a British accent almost whispering these lyrics as she tells the story with this 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 graveness to her voice simple arrangement uh, uh, just banjo and mandolin is what you're going to hear on the track and they they Sally Tim's delivers this in a way in which you the listener are hanging on every one of her words he couldn't leave me here like this I know it can't be so it can't be over 
he would make me go through this alone Oh, he'll be coming down from Dover My body aches, the time is near It's lonely in this place where I'm lying Our baby has been born, but something's wrong It's much too still, I hear no crying Guess in some strange way she knew she'd never have a father's arms to hold her And dying was her way of telling me he wasn't coming down from Dover It is a fantastic song written by Dolly Parton it is a fantastic interpretation by John Langford and Tilly Timms and I highly recommend you try to track it down it's a fantastic song, and I had never heard it, of course, until that you sent it to me. You actually had to like Dropbox it, yes, because, <laughs> because it didn't exist. We, we couldn't find it on YouTube. Uh, but boy, I mean, I was familiar with the original, um, which is, you know, I, I wasn't going to say it's not one of my. Fa- it it's not that it's not one of my favorites. It is that it is precisely as you described it, so depressing. Mm-hmm. That it is just hard to take. Oh God, it just it rips your your guts out every time. Uh, but yes, this is a magnificent cover version, and it's the lightness of it, the fact that it doesn't engage in the bombast. Mm-hmm. It keeps <clears throat> it keeps the arrangement very simple, very spare, and that I think is the secret to covering Dolly Parton, who I would argue is actually one of the l- less successfully covered great artists of country. Yeah. And the thing is, is that that might sound crazy because, you know, like there's been like have four billion girl singers have done Jolene. Right. Sure. And then, of course, there's uh, I Will Always Love You, which Whitney Houston's version is, you know, number one worldwide mega hit single. But I just don't like it all. I mean, I think Whitney Houston has one of the best voices, uh, you know, that ever came out of the 80s. But I don't like her version of I Will Always Love You compared to Dolly's original which I think is just vastly more moving because it's yes, simpler. Yes, it is. Yep. Yep. It, it's much more plaintive. It, it, it's not like, you know, the big snare hit and I will always love you big brassy <laughs> vocals. You know, if, you know, the joke, of course, is that you see sometimes people placing it uh, into you know, memes, into GIFs in, on on, uh, on Twitter uh, for like really embarrassing, like you know, some guy gets, you know, hit. Uh, or tackled on the football field, and I, bam, and I will always love you <laughs> because it's so bombastic. But if you ever hear the original Dolly version, it's much different, and I think vastly superior. This is a cover version that I think really honors the original, and I would agree with you, improves on it. It takes the absolute ugh, aching pain and and turns it into something that despite the agony of it, despite the sadness of it, is still worth listening to. And that, in a way, brings me to uh, the next band that I want to talk about, a band that I am obsessed with. We're we're talking about great songwriters here. Uh, This is a band that contained great songwriters, but also before those songwriters found their voices, were famous in the United Kingdom and are still famous among true, like serious music lovers as being... Some would argue the greatest covers band of all time. The name of the band is Fairport Convention. They started in England in 1967. Um, Their first three or four albums, 
uh, they they started off sounding a little bit like the Jefferson Airplane or the United Kingdom's answer to the Jefferson Airplane. Then they developed into a great cover band reinterpreting the great works of Joni Mitchell, Leonard Cohen, and Bob Dylan. Those three in particular. Uh, Their songs, and, and not their famous songs, but their songs that hadn't been released by other artists. And then they invented United Kingdom's version of folk rock, which is what they became really famous for. But I want to focus on their covers. Their covers are some of the most moving covers of all time. And they have pain with them. They have burdens with them. They they have a burden that can only come with the lead vocals of their singer, Sandy Denny, who I think is maybe my favorite female vocalist of all time. She died in the mid-70s. Um, very sad death. Uh, I think she had a drinking problem. She, she had self-confidence issues. Mm. I, I wish she hadn't because her voice is a force of nature. It sounds like Mother Earth is singing to you and although i could have named six different fairport songs the one that i've chosen uh in this case is their cover of bob dylan's i'll keep it with mine bob dylan's version was an outtake from bringing it all back home uh you can find it on biograph if you're a dylan fan uh fairport's version dylan's version is good Fairport's version is transcendent, mm. and the thing that makes it so transcendent is not just Sandy's vocals. It's not just the backing vocals of Ian Matthews and Richard Thompson. It is the incredible patience of the musical backing track. These kids, and I say kids, were 19 and 20, 21 years old at the most. They were children. They were children, and they play with the patience the thoughtfulness and the taste and delicacy of old souls, people who have seen a lot of things, have spent a lot of time through music. They're the opposite of brashy and flashy. opening chords of the song are just literally Richard Thompson playing an electric guitar figure that's very slow and very patient and it just builds and it builds and they know they have you they don't have to shout they never have to turn their amps up to 11 to get your attention and that was the genius of Fairport Convention was realizing at such a young age how they could transfix a listener 
simply by being quieter and exploring those spaces and never, ever boring you for one second. This is, uh, uh, I just have, there's artists that you mean to get into, people recommend, you're supposed to, and then you you don't. You don't have the time, you don't want to devote the energy. (laughs) Richard Thompson, Richard Linda Thompson, and uh, and Fairport Convention, one of those that I, I just have to. Um, because there have been far too many people saying that uh, basically the same things you're saying. So this is one I have to kind of put off to the side, make myself a note, come back to and maybe fully appreciate um, a bit later. Their version of Percy's song is, is just as good, yeah. I will say, just as good. And by the way, while we are on the subject of great Dylan covers, another one of my top covers, and we put it in here because, you know, hey, when, you, when you're doing Dylan – this is the place to do it, is the birds. Yeah. You know, it's very easy to talk about the birds. I think uh, James Polos uh, mentioned uh, Mr. Tambourine Man as one of his favorite yes. covers. And I nearly put in uh, You Ain't Going Nowhere, the first track from Sweetheart of the Rodeo, which I just love. Both of them are great. And the birds were a fantastic band in their own right, one who absolutely deserve an episode. And I think really actually unfairly dismissed. It's mm-hmm. like, oh, yeah, they just covered the birds. Bob Dylan, you know, they're they're really not that important themselves. No, that's nonsense. It's a band chock full of amazing songwriters, but they were also excellent with a reinterpretation, and their greatest reinterpretation of all time was their cover of Bob Dylan's My Back Pages. They take a song that in Dylan's version was a lyrically very meaningful and thoughtful uh, sort of rejection of you know the whole protest ethos saying i'm not going to be your uh i'm not going to be your avatar for uh political protest i have my own inner life i i've evolved i am not going to be a pawn in someone else's game uh but dylan wrote it in a waltz time it was three four it's very mm-hmm. kind of slow and ungainly and if you ever hear dylan's original version it works well enough within the context of another side of bob dylan but it is halting and it it's a bit stumbling and, I, and i've never quite gotten beyond that what roger mcguinn did when the birds decided to cover it on younger than yesterday i think maybe their greatest album in 1967 is recasted into four four time and then mcguinn wrote one of the great late 60s riffs of all time that do 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 that taking the original chords writing a riff around them and then singing with that angelic voice of McGuinn's and then of course the great, you know, David Crosby, Chris Hillman backing vocals behind it turned what could have remained sort of a thoughtful, but ultimately ungainly protest song into one of the most sparkling transcendent reinterpretations of Bob Dylan's material that's ever been put to to tape. Crimson flames tied through my ears Fire and flaming road Using ideas as my map We'll meet on edges soon Said I Proud me Deed it brow Ah, but I was so much older then I'm younger than that now And I guess Crosby didn't want to do it uh, at all. He felt they were doing too many Dylan covers and didn't want to do... Uh, uh, he didn't want to do that. Pages. He didn't want to do Going Back either. He sat on the couch when they did uh, <laughs> Goffin and Kings Going Back, 
We talked about on our Monkeys episode yes. how great Goffin and King were because the Monkeys did such good versions of their songs. Well, they donated a song to the Birds, and that's one of the Birds' greatest songs. And Crosby was like, screw this. I don't want to do other people's <laughs> songs. But he was a fool, and everybody – and I think even he admits now, like, yeah, I was wrong. I was um, wrong. Mention one more in our, in our kind of our great songwriters uh, section here. And um, the original Hank Williams, uh, who, who wrote just a ton of fantastic songs. And the cover version I want to point out is by one of my absolute favorite current artists uh, by the name of Nico Case. And some of you might know uh, Nico Case. If you don't, Fox Confessor Brings the Flood, I think, is her, her, her absolute masterpiece. But she's also in the band uh, The New Pornographers, which is a totally different kind of music than she does on her own, which in some way makes me like her even more. Right. Um, and this is a cover uh, from an album she put out, uh, an EP, uh, called Canadian Amp, which, again, is about half covers and, and, and half originals. She did a, a version of Dreaming Man from Neil Young, which is also great. But this Hank Williams track is Alone and Forsaken, one of Hank's best songs about loneliness and desolation. And there were quite a few of Hank's tracks about loneliness. From a man who wrote more than a few, <laughs> right. right. Desolation. This, Mr. I'm so lonesome I can cry, right? right. <laughs> this version, though, is beautiful. Nico Case has, in my mind, the the best female vocal. I, I, I could listen to her sing the phone book and, and, and just... I saw her at the Vic in Chicago, and it was the, the, the best sounding show I've ever been at. She sounded fantastic. The acoustics were perfect. It was a great show. So her voice, right front and center, is, is enough to sell me on the song. But the way the song is put together in this version... They use um, this atmospheric sound to start things off. It's kind of a, it's a light rain falling and maybe a distant sound of thunder. And that actually continues through the song, which otherwise is just guitar and vocal. And so faintly through the song, you hear this, this, this atmospheric rain kind of falling. The rain actually becomes the percussive element in the production of this song. And uh, there wasn't any kind of percussion in the original uh, Hank Williams version, but this just has this underneath a little bit of Alone and Forsaken. Nico's voice just drives it home. She promised to honor, to love and obey. Foul was a plaything that she threw away. The darkness is falling, the sky has turned gray A hound in the distance is starting to bay I wonder, I wonder what she's thinking of Forsaken, forgotten, without any love Understand. Oh, please understand. Uh, it, it's a great cover of, of uh, one of my favorite. I, I love Hank Williams. Uh, I love that classic country stuff. I'll, I'll turn you on that at some point. Um, but uh, Alone and Forsaken, the Nico Case version, highly recommended. I actually was a big fan of this one when you, you threw it out at me, and it is not what I would call a complete top-to-bottom reconstruction mm -hmm. of a song. 
which is the next thing that we're going to talk about. Um, we, we have been dividing these things into sort of, you know, sort of informal categories. And the next thing that we're going to talk about are covers that we love, our favorite covers that absolutely destroy, detonate, reduce to rubble, and then reconstruct <laughs> in some bizarre, like, uh, phantasmagorical recreation of the original. And in doing so, in arguably, if not equal, I think maybe even top the originals. And in the case of the one I'm going to mention, that's a high mountain to climb. But I want you to go first with your choice. Oh, so um, perfect. This is my way of shoehorning Huey Lewis in the news into an episode, since I don't think we'll, uh, we'll ever agree to actually do a full No, 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 no. Okay, stop, stop, stop. Yeah, just cut that. Cut the mic. Cut the mic. Cut the mic. No, no, okay, go. Um, and that is, uh, um, there, I don't think this ever came out. There was an attempt, there was an attempt to do a Huey Lewis, uh, uh, a whole album of Huey Lewis covers called Are You Still With Me, which is something Huey would shout at the crowd during shows. And um, one of the tracks that, that actually was finished and released is a cover of I Want a New Drug, one of Huey Lewis right. and Lewis's best and uh, and biggest selling songs. And so this is a, a version by a band right, called... Or as I call it, Ghostbusters version 1.0. <laughs> That's right. Ghostbusters, or you know, the song that made Huey a bunch of money because they, they stole it and Ray Parker had to pay. Um, Apostle of Hustle is the band that does this. They're a band out of Canada, and quite frankly, I don't know much about them other than this song, which is fine. They take I Want a New Drug, which, you know, has the, has the bass line, which, again, was ripped off for Ghostbusters. And a very upbeat, up-tempo synth saxophone, 80s pop tune, and deconstructs it completely and reimagines it as this gritty tale of, you know, because actually in, in foreign countries, I Want a New Drug had a parenthetical at the end, which was called love, because they didn't want people to think that Huey <laughs> like, they didn't, actually like wanted... Franco's Spain would not allow yeah. I Want a New Drug. To but be... this is, the, this drug that Apostle of Hustle is talking about in the reconstructed song would certainly not be love. Something far heavier than that. Um, you know, th there are these shakers and these offbeats and totally weird chord progressions and through it, this relentless rhythm pushing it forward, it almost fits the lyrics a little bit better, quite frankly, than the original uh, layout. Although, I, you know, I love the original. But it's such a gritty take on what was uh, and is, you know, an up-tempo 80s synth saxophone Huey Lewis pop tune. One that does what it should. One that won't make me feel too bad. One that won't make me feel too good. I love the way that they, uh, Apostle of Hustle, reimagines this song as something completely different. And I am, of course, a, a big Huey fan, so that, that helps as well. But I think it's a, it's a, it, the song does well on its own. I regret. Oh, how I regret <laughs> to admit that I liked this cover. Oh, it was good. It Outstanding. Was good. We'll, we'll get you. We'll get you around. 
No, I, 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 I will say what I said. I can't even remember which episode it was where we discussed this. But it's I'll Guy, say Guy that. Benson. So Billy uh, Joel. Which one? Oh, Guy yes, Benson and yes, Billy Joel. Billy Joel yeah. Right, with Guy. Um, yeah, I, I like Power of Love by uh, by Huey Lewis, but man, I hate the rest of this. And it's very <laughs> rare for me to hate something that was a fixture of like my household growing yeah, up. Yeah. yeah, we had a copy of Sports. Everyone did on CD. But, oh, Huey Lewis. Man, that, that, that did not age well. Um, but I like this cover version, and yeah, yeah, okay, you earned it. You earned it, Scott. You convinced me. <laughs> All right, now it is my turn, and we're going to be doing this. We're going to be back and forthing here for, for more than one time because there are so many great, as I said, you know, deconstruction, rebuilt cover versions to discuss that we each chose to. The first one that I'm going to go with is by, again, yet another band that one day hopefully we can do on the show that I've referenced, I think, approximately 60 times uh, on the past 25 episodes of Political Beats, which is Husker Du. Husker Du, the great Minneapolis band of the early 80s, mid-80s, um, Bob Mould, Grant Hart, Greg Norton. Um, they uh, never made it big, but they made it big in the hearts and minds of everybody who ever went out and formed another band after them. Their version of the birds eight miles high. It comes from the sessions for Zen Arcade, which is their their great album. They're sort of their masterwork from 1984. Uh, they did they cut during those sessions a cover version of Eight Miles High by the Birds that is unlike anything you have ever heard. If you know Eight Miles High uh, by the Birds, the original version, well, what do you know? You know that sort of like that ominous. It's a great song. You know the ominous opening like bass notes. And it has a jazzy groove, and then it builds up into this, you know, guitar version of John Coltrane. And okay, that's the Birds version. <clears throat> now, what is Husker Du's version? It's Bob Mould shredding his guitar through those notes, <laughs> doing one of the most ultimate hardcore, and I mean that in the actual mention of the hardcore genre, hardcore. Uh, heavy metal, speed metal versions of that song that you could ever imagine. And Molt is just screaming, screaming his guts out. God, he has such a powerful voice. He is howling. He is howling with the same power that he brought to the songs on Zen Arcade where he was like talking about his unhappy childhood. You know, like how hard it was for him to be a closeted gay kid. And he's singing Eight Miles High with the same passion. It is a song that never made it onto any of their records. 
it is strictly a non-album single, which is one of the greatest tragedies of the Who Screwed discography. This should have been <laughs> on any of their records, and instead, it's one of these things that you'll only know if you are a, a super fan or if you're even reasonably conversant with a band that, frankly, not a lot of people know about. Um, please listen to Hoosker's cover of Eight Miles High. Um and the, my next one is probably one that people might know and have heard. I, I think it's one of the ultimate examples of, of song deconstruction and reconstruction, or in, in the band's case, perhaps they just would prefer deconstruction. They are Devo and, uh, and Satisfaction from the Rolling Stones. Uh, they take one of the classic, one of the most well-known songs of all time, one of the great rock and roll riffs from Keith Richards, and take it apart completely. Those passionate vocals of Mick Jagger replaced by Mark Mothersbaugh's halting, uncomfortable delivery. Um, you know, the, the, those massive riffs of Keith Richards and Satisfaction replaced by this kind of electronic scramble and a very high-anxiety type guitar playing that Devo is so famous for. Um, this wasn't meant to be a cover. It was, the, the, the base of the song was just the guys in Devo messing around and figuring out this progression, and then Mother's Boss started singing Satisfaction over it. They kind of reworked it. <laughs> the record company actually made them get the approval of Mick Jagger before they would release it. Now, you don't, you don't have to get and permission. he did. He, he did. did mine. Yeah, you don't have to get permission to release covers, so I don't know why, but they did. And there's a story that... The band uh, tells about, you know, sitting in a, a dressing room with Mick Jagger, I think was, you know, uh, in his bare feet and in one of his, uh, you know, one of his uh, get-ups ready to go on stage and listening and it ends and there's 30 seconds of silence and no one does anything and then Mick gets up and starts <laughs> dancing around and saying, I love it! I love it! So they got this the is from, This is from the black and blue phase of, yes. of the Rolling Stones too. Like they're really like drug-ridden, pampered, <laughs> feather-haired era Mick Jagger, right? But used to great effect in, in uh, uh, Casino, uh, the film Casino, and I've always liked Devo quite a bit, and I like Mark Mark, uh, 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 Mark Mothersbaugh's recent work uh, a lot with uh, uh, Wes Anderson and his films, and he does a lot of music scores. Uh, this satisfaction from Devo, the way they took what again was one of the more iconic songs of rock and roll, and 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 broke it down to make it a Devo song and, and really make it singular, is fantastic. <laughs> Was, and I noticed this, an actual trend among these new wave post-punk bands of the late 70s and early 80s. Like They had their own original material, but every single one of them would have that one bizarre deconstructed cover that they did <laughs> as well. Yeah. So like the other one that I think is, is completely fits the description that you just gave is XTC's version of All Along the Watchtower. I don't know if you've heard that. It's off their first album, White Music. Um, and it is it 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 
basically is, you know, you know how satisfaction by Devo sounds. Well, the XTC version of All on the Watchtower is an out-of-tune harmonica and a bunch of really twangy post-punk guitars playing something very dissonant. And I, I got to admit, I, I, I like it better than Hendrix's version, um, <laughs> which we're going to get to when we talk about it later. Um, but yeah, uh, Magazine did the same thing. Uh, they did Thank You for Letting Me Be Myself Again by mm -hmm. Sly and the Family mm -hmm. Stone. This was a tradition among these late 70s bands. You sort of like you know, they, they come across as iconoclastic, and yet at the same time, they tip their cap in a weird way to the people who came before. Right. Um, now, for an example of a band who did the same kind of radical reconstructive surgery on a song, but did it as a contemporary of them. I'm going to mention my last song, uh, which is by Yes. Not my last song of our list, but you know, the last song of our themed section, which is by Yes. Yes, that's right. The prog rock group, Yes. Owner of a Lonely Harp, Roundabout, <laughs> Close to the Edge. You know them. Uh, you know, I've seen all good people, all that. Great, great band. Don't listen to the lyrics. I love the music. If you have not heard their version of America – by Simon and Garfunkel. You know, we walked off to look for America. You know it. I hope you know it. And if you don't know it, well, this is the best place to get to know it because <laughs> it is an 11 and a half minute long guitar and keyboard extravaganza of ridiculous prog chops taking a very simple kind of a quiet acoustic Simon and Garfunkel song and turning it into the most bombastic thing you have ever heard. And <laughs> there is not a doubt in my mind that it is 100 times better than the Simon and Garfunkel original. It's not close. It is so far superior to the original Simon and Garfunkel version of America that it confidently incorporates the Gershwin version of America, you know, happy to live in America, happy to live in America from West Side Story yes. into its yes. introduction and doesn't give a shit. But yes, it is that good. 11 and a half minutes of prog rock silliness. And by the way, a reminder that for all that we criticize progressive rock uh, from the early 70s for being highly silly and incredibly, you know, pompous, self-important, consumed with its own value and thinking that it's better than all of the other music surrounding it. Those guys had senses of humor. America, what I love most about America is how funny it is. Every member of the band, Steve Howe, is just having the time of his life playing this <laughs> song. He's just, he's just literally, he's just going to town on guitar, playing these like country, rock, blues riffs. He's you know, Rick Wakeman and Bill Bruford also played some of the keyboards on that version are just like laughing. It's a joke. It's funny. It's a happy joke.
guys could laugh at themselves, and America is the proof of that. I just can't recommend this version enough, and it's proof that the prog rockers, for all that we make fun of them, they knew how to make fun of themselves, too. Hey, by the way, is there a is there a cover version of a Simon and Garfunkel tune that is not superior to the original? Because I, I you know, I again, like, uh, I mentioned Disturbed earlier in the show, but like, I'm not a fan of the original Sound of Silence, but I really love uh, that Disturbed version. Lemonheads you know, and you, Mrs. Robinson. I think the Bengals version of Hazy Shade of Winter is far yes. better than the original version. So I mean, that, that that's one of those weird things. Like, I, uh, you know, the um, Simon and Garfunkel, you know, I've talked about how the Foo Fighters used to be a big gap in my life. Rush is a gap in my Simon and Garfunkel isn't a gap in my musical experience. I've listened to their music. I just don't like it. I just, <laughs> I, you know, I like the boxer. Everybody likes the boxer. Yes. You know what? I, I still kind of, in a weird, perverse way, I like Bob Dylan's cover of the boxer on Self Portrait, which everyone else hates. I like that more than the original. What does that say about me? Nothing and, good, I imagine. And the one song that I like is Kodachroma. That's Paul Simon solo, I think. That's Simon yeah. Garfunkel. See, you know, so there you go. Paul Simon solo stuff is the stuff that, other than Graceland, which, again, is one of those 80s fixtures. Yeah. And then I later found he stole it from Los Lobos. Uh, you know, that was the only one that I ever knew from his solo career. Political Beats, Scott Bertram, Jeff Blair. You can find us, of course, iTunes on uh, also Google Play. And uh, tune in and all over the place. Uh, subscribe for new episodes on Mondays. Nationalreview.com. Find our episodes there as well. And uh, at political underscore beats on Twitter is how to uh, interact with us. Um, we have we each have a few more we want to get to, but I w- want to go and uh, and discuss or at least mention a few things that were mentioned by our guests. We went to all of our previous guests, so 25 previous guests, and emailed them and said, hey, we're doing this episode about our favorite cover songs. Give us three of your favorite cover songs, and we got some really great responses. Yeah, and I think one of the things that's most worth pointing out is how often, uh, we'll call this the Hendrix problem, how often Jimmy came up uh, in our responses. I, I, I know that Matt Welch mentioned them. I know that a lot of other people mentioned them too. Uh, but, of course, the one that we're primarily referring to is All Along the Watchtower by Jimi Hendrix. You'll notice that, that it, it, it hasn't come up. I, I mentioned XTC's version of All Along the Watchtower <laughs> first. Uh, and I don't know about Scott. I can't speak for Scott. But the reason I didn't mention it is that I, I like it. Uh, listen, I mean, what, what, what kind of jackass is going to say, oh, I don't like Hendrix's version of All Along the Watchtower? No, I like it. But uh, if I'm being honest, I've always preferred Dylan's original. I prefer the spare, apocalyptic-sounding kind of you know you know Midwestern country preacher version mm-hmm. uh, of the acoustic guitar version on John Wesley Harding. Um, so I, I, I would never say I dislike that song. I mean, I look forward to it every time I listen to Electric Ladyland. But it's not a favorite cover of mine. It's a favorite cover of so many people. And in fact, you know, when we sent these feelers out and we talked, I talked about it on Twitter, so many people mentioned it. Because yeah. I think in a lot of people's minds, it is sort of the, the watchword when you think of great covers. Well, you think of Hendrix doing Dylan. And it is sort of the, the alpha omega, the, the place that you start above all else. I would disagree with that. But, you know, people often accuse me of being uh, contrarian. So there you go. <laughs> I actually uh, agree with you in that I don't um, – I, I like the original version better than the Hendrix version. A- uh, Eric Garcia also from uh, Roll Call had All Along the Watchtower on his list. And it's just, it's just not 
one of my favorites. Um, on that same kind of path, the other one that is mentioned constantly on, on lists of the best covers, and, and remember, this is this is our favorite covers, not the best. So we want to kind of make sure that that that's that's clear. But um, Johnny Cash, who with Rick Rubin uh, right. had those American albums in the decade before his death, and they were great albums. I think I have American Three, which is which is good, and I still listen. But uh, Johnny Cash doing Hurt. I don't know if anyone specifically mentioned that actually from our uh, from our guest, but oh, I know no, we got. Oh no, 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 yeah, 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 we definitely got. Oh, Jay Caruso I, I did. Tell you right now, off the top of my head, but I definitely saw uh, uh, more than and not only one person, but I think yeah. at least multiple people mentioned Johnny Cash's hurt. By the way, uh, it, for all of our uh, ex guests who are listening right now, uh, I want you to know that we're going to include your lists in our show notes. Yes. So don't feel that we're slighting <laughs> you by not being able to remember the exact names. We got way more response than we expected. Yep, <laughs> so which is good. We like that. Uh, Jay Caruso had mentioned hurt from from Johnny Cash, and you know we talked about um, uh, and and so did Phil Wegman. We talked about hurt when we did our Nine Inch Nails episode with Jane Coaston, and um, I think all of us made the point that 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 version might even be more more known and better known, and to the point where it, uh, people think of it as a Johnny Cash song and not a Nine Inch Nails song in many right. ways. What have I become? My sweetest friend Everyone I know Goes away in the end And you could have it all My empire of dirt And so I think it's an excellent version. It just doesn't make my favorite list. I, you know, I don't, I don't know what else to say. <laughs> well, right. You know, it's funny how you talk about uh, some of the folks who who came to us with, uh, you know, their favorite covers. You know, they they did stuff like that. You know, they Cash Hurt versus Nine Inch Nails along the Watchtower. I, Jay Jay Caruso. Uh, also, really wanted us to mention Voodoo Child, yeah. the Stevie Ray Vaughan version of Voodoo Child. Um, but I actually think it's worth mentioning Julie Roginski, uh, who who was on for our Led Zeppelin episode, had a really interesting observation. You know, it's back back to the Hendrix beat here. Uh, one of her favorite covers was Derek and the Dominoes' version of Little Wing, which if if you guys have. Uh, Layla and other assorted love songs, and you should. Little Wing is found. Yeah, yeah. For God's sake, you should. I mean, it's, I think honestly, it's the, it's the only really truly great yes. Eric Clapton yes. album ever. Thank you. Um, yes. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But the thing that's amazing about Little Wing is how wild a departure. We're talking about you know taking covers apart and reconstructing them from the ground up. Well, Little Wing is an example of that. And Julie actually pointed out, she's like, yeah, and this is really particularly interesting to me as a favorite cover because I'm, I've never been a huge fan of Hendrix's original Little Wing, the the one that's off of uh, Axis Bold as Love. Uh, and I agree with her. I vastly prefer the very, you know, opening fanfare of the Derek and the Dominoes Little Wing mm -hmm. to the quieter, very much more blues guitar-based version of uh, that one from them. There's another song. Uh, we're talking about the ones that were mentioned by multiple responses from our ex-guests that came up, and it's one that I know that you and I talked about just before we started the show, 
because we feel a little bit ambivalent about it. So many people, I know Matt Welch in particular mentioned it, and I think there were a couple others who did, cited to Jeff Buckley's cover of Leonard Cohen's Hallelujah. Um, there is no doubt that it has entered the canon of sort of great songs and great covers. So I, you know, whatever whatever the hell it is that you and I say, Scott, you know, <laughs> rest rest assured, its status is secure, and yes. you don't have to worry about us maybe not agreeing with you. But I think that we were kind of agreed that neither of us are enormous fans. Now, what were your thoughts on it? Uh, yes, uh, Phil Wegman had Hallelujah, and you mentioned uh, um, Matt Welsh did, and actually uh, Carol Markowitz had a different Jeff Buckley song, which is The Other Woman, but Hallelujah specifically, uh, I, I always liked, liked the song and knew it was a, a Leonard Cohen cover, and here's my problem, and I admit it's my problem and mine alone. My wife watches all of the singing competitions on TV, American Idol and The Voice, and I think there's at least one more that's out there at this point. Uh, The X Factor is on for a while. And if you've watched any of these singing competitions, you know that the song that is performed virtually more than any other song in the history of songs on the shows, uh, especially in the, uh, the, the, uh, uh, the, uh, uh, the tryouts, is Hallelujah because people think it's a great song, it allows them to emote, and it hits these notes. I have heard Hallelujah 200 times over the past years on these shows, sung you know poorly at times and sung very well at other times. I am completely sick of it. And again, it's my problem and mine alone. I don't need to hear it ever again. There's no way I can put it anymore on my list of favorite cover songs. I can't do it. I never liked the original that much, and I've never, therefore, really reacted that much to Jeff Buckley's. <laughs> Jeff Buckley, to me, is, you know, you know, one day, I'm sure we will cover Buckley. It'll be a shorter show for obvious reasons, yep. sadly. But um, he was a talent that never came to fruition. And his voice is obviously, uh, you know, ethereal. It, it isn't of this earth. It's just magnificent. Um, but I, uh, I, I never felt like he brought it together for an album. Even Grace kind of disappoints me. And this version is become so iconic. And I think it, 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 a large reason for that is because, as you say, it isn't just sung on all these music shows, but it's used in so many soundtracks. Yeah. It's, it's always like, sort of like, you know, like the, here's the very sad elegiac moment that. You know, the the hero is going to experience a crushing blow. Hallelujah plays. <laughs> now, <clears throat> Leonard Cohen wrote so many fantastic songs. I think Leonard Cohen's discography in itself, there's another checkered board that we'll address at some point. But I think Suzanne, mm. Bird on Wire, those, again, covered by Fairport Convention brilliantly, those are better songs and better covers of better songs. So, yeah, Buckley's Halley has never quite done it for me. And I know we've just lost all of our ex-guests. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, Matt. Um, Sorry, Phil. Uh, we love you. I didn't mean to disappoint you. Uh, a couple more from our guests uh, list that I wanted to mention quickly. Uh, Sean Trendy, our very first guest of all time. Thank you, Sean. Doing Van Halen episode one before we had any idea what the heck we were doing on the show. Uh, yeah. But pulled it off well. Uh, mentioned uh, a song that also was mentioned in our Twitter feed quite a bit, at political underscore beats, and that is a song by the Gourds uh, as they yes. covered Gin and Juice, 
which, yes! which is a great, great cover. And to hear people or to, to watch people listen to it for the first time is tremendous. And I, it's great. It's so great because you're like, oh yeah, that's a that's a really good song. Oh, oh yeah. Oh oh sh- oh you know s. Uh, I don't want to get bleeped again. No. Yeah, that that's the Snoop Doggy Dog song. Yep. And if you like that, and and, and uh, there's a song from the Unholy Trio. Uh, again, a band, I guess, like Apostle of Hustle. I don't really know a lot about Unholy Trio, except they have a cover version of Bring the Noise, the public enemy song, which yes. is uh, kind of, I, I call it like back porch countrified. It is, you know, if, if you imagine a group of guys on the back porch with banjo, I mean, it's, you know, down southified, so to speak. And the highlight for me is when there's a guitar solo in the song, when the guitar solo blends with the melody of Dixie, right in the middle of Bring the Noise from Public Enemy. That, that's, that's something you got to hear. Um, <laughs> unholy trio in Bring the Noise. Please, how long can you go? Death row, what a brother know. Once again, back is the incredible. Animal, the incredible. The Public Enemy, number one, five holes that freeze and I got numb. It's a wax of the Terminator X one. Turn it up. Bring the noise. The other one I want to mention quickly, too, this was, I think, um, Robert Dean Lurie. By, by, by the way, do, do, you feel, do you feel guilty about appropriation issues? Because there is something like, <laughs> you know, you know, even that, that acoustic cover of Hey Ya that I was talking yeah. about earlier. Well, you know, you're, you're taking a hip-hop, you know, black song, you know, and there's a white guy with acoustic guitar playing in a coffee shop making it all emo. And then, you know, gin and juice, and then bring on the noise. But there is something truly transfixing yes. about taking, like, you know, it, you know, you talk about trying to bridge a political divide, like, like the, the like the reddest of the redneck, you know, covering like urban hip hop, proving that the song is still the song. The song is still the song, and that's why we're doing this episode because covers. The point of doing a truly great cover is to prove that you can transplant it across a genre. You can transplant it from any time in any place to any other time in any place. And if you do it right, if you, you do it with the right amount of artistic validity, it does not matter where it originally came from. It matters how it, origi- how it comes out sounding at the back end. And that's what I love about those kinds of songs yep, too because yep. – you, you've got to acknowledge the genius, the joy of saying, well, you know, oh, that's a niche thing. You know, that, that's for one, you know, sound. And saying, no, 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 no. Yeah. Underlying music is brilliant. The lyric is brilliant. I can take that and I can put it into any other context and it's still brilliant. Yep. Uh, and the other one I wanted to mention, John J. Miller, and uh, mentioned uh, My World is Empty and I Hear a Symphony, a live medley by the Afghan Whigs. And Robert Dean Lurie uh, also mentioned the Afghan Whigs uh, and their version of Band of Gold, uh, which is an excellent cover. And I want to, uh, I actually just saw Afghan Whigs uh, this past uh, uh, September, I think. And in that show, they did a cover of uh, Umbrella by Rihanna and, and just blended it in with their music so well 
Uh, Greg Dooley from the Afghan Whigs is really a genius when it comes to identifying yeah. and carrying out and re-engineering these songs so they fit right in with his band's vibe and, and fit right in with, with the other songs that are being played. If you look through a collection of, of you know live choices and also recorded choices of cover songs that Afghan Whigs have done through their career, it's a murderous row of really great stuff. I mean, it is, and Afghan Wigs is one of those bands that I actually tell myself that I have to get to explore more. <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, listen, you know, we just did our Foos episode. There's a lot on the docket. Hey, one of these days, I hate to admit it, but one of these days I may actually hear a Rush song for the first time. <laughs> um, so, you know, these are, these are all going to happen. But now I think it is time for us to wrap it up by talking about the last few songs that we chose. Yeah. When we, when we started this show, when we started planning this show, yeah, Scott and I sent uh, the lists to one another, and you know, we found out that we could kind of group them into categories, and that was great because that, that helped give a little structure to the show. There were a few that didn't quite fit in, and we want to just end by mopping it up here and mentioning those last few, Scott, why don't you mention yours first? Yeah, uh, let me mention a few. One, uh, 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 you're a huge Dead fan, and I'm, I'm kind of an on-the-edges Dead fan. Yeah. But one of my favorite Grateful Dead songs is uh, Shakedown Street. And there was a, a Grateful Dead uh, tribute album, which was released, I think, only a year or two ago. I think one of the guys from The National was involved in putting it together, called uh, A Day of the Dead. And there's a New Zealand band called Unknown Mortal Orchestra, who did a cover version of of Shakedown Street for the album, and it's great. I mean, it it's a funky take on what already is kind of a funky song. It's it's got the disco beat. It's a loose, joyful performance. I, I really like both the original and the and the cover version. Um, there are two songs I'll mention here that I I love, and you have to make the point. I think that these are un ironic cover you can do ironic covers of 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 you know pop songs and gotta have fun with it i think both both of these are un, unironically done one of them is uh, uh fountains of wayne which uh I, I hope we can get to soon on the show and fountains of wayne is just a fantastic power pop band probably one of the best in the past 20 years for certain and they did a version of Britney Spears' Baby One More Time. This is where I admit that I have a soft spot for Britney Spears. Both Baby One More Time, I kind of like Oops, I Did It Again. I, I think, like Richard Thompson's cover yes, of Oops, that's good. I Did It Again, uh, which, by the way, made one of our guests' lists. <laughs> uh, Toxic, I think, is one of the really great pop songs of, of well, I guess that would have been the, the late aughts. So Founds of Wayne take on Baby One More Time and give it this very slow, slinky groove to it uh, with these uh, almost power chords in, in areas. They actually gave it to Atlantic, their record label, and Atlantic said, we're going to release it as a single, and the band said, no, no, you're not, and they, they withdrew the song from the label. It eventually made it out on a, uh, uh, on a B-side uh, outtake album called Out of State Plates. It's worth hunting down. It's a great version of, uh, of a pop song, Baby One More Time. Oh, baby, baby. I need to know Because My lonely 
On that same kind of uh, plate is a, a really great band. I think they're out of the Kansas City area called Rex Hobart and the M- Misery Boys. If you like hard honky-tonk music, which isn't played all that much anymore, you will love Rex Hobart and the Misery Boys. And they did Poison's Every Rose Has Its Thorn. This was great, by the way. Yes, as a hard honky-tonk song. Slow, spoken intro into the full band kick it into honky tonk romp it's not a joke it's not ironic they take the song and really transform it into something special in a totally different genre than what um than what poison had originally intended it's a great song and, and the best thing about that song and by the way i'm so glad that you mentioned it because i listened to it and it's one of those things that because the poison version we all treat as kind of like hair metal joke yeah, right yeah it's like oh yeah you're seeing you know, la bombast but when you hear their version because i wasn't super familiar with poison's original version i was able to just close my eyes and think like <laughs> i'm sitting in a bar and they're playing this and i'm just imagining this is a standard mm-hmm. this is a porter wagoner standard, it could be yeah right? yeah exactly and it worked it works. It absolutely works as a as a honky tonk song. Yeah, it's great. hilarious if you realize that. I heard our favorite song playing on the radio. The DJ says loves a game of easy come and easy go. Well, I wonder does he know? Has he ever felt like this? I know you. Uh, and uh, the last thing I want to mention quickly, I, um, I'm i a huge John Hyatt fan. And uh, Hyatt, I, I don't know if anyone keeps track of these things, Hyatt probably has had more of his songs covered by other artists than any other songwriter. I'm, I'm making up a stat, of course. But Hyatt has had just a plethora of his original songs covered by many famous artists. My struggle is uh, Hyatt generally records those songs on his own at some point, and Every time, I like Hyatt's version better than the yes. cover. The closest may be uh, Bonnie Raitt's Thing Called Love. I like a lot, but I still like John Hyatt's Thing Called Love a lot better than even Bonnie Raitt's version, which is good. So I couldn't include any of John Hyatt's covered songs on the list because I like John Hyatt's versions better. So uh, there's a little caveat. Um, that, 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 there you go. That's, that's my list. Jeff, what do you want to finish up with here? All right. Well, okay. I have three songs I want to finish up with, and they are as wildly diverse as you could guess. Well, <laughs> within the white arty art rock prog rock <laughs> genre, you know, well, whatever. I am, I am a slave to my former influences. The first song I want to mention is by one of probably my most favorite bands that I don't mention often enough on p- political beats. Uh, that again, boy, one day we'll do them. One day we'll do them, and we will do them justice. It's 
Pavement. Uh, Pavement, uh, the best band, in my opinion, of the entire 1990s. And I mean that very literally. I think they were better than Radiohead. I think they were better than you know, Oasis, Blur, uh, you name it, Pearl Jam, uh, Nirvana. Pavement was the best band of the 90s. And uh, their best cover, the one that means the most to me, is their cover of R.E.M.'s Camera. It is not a song for beginners. Their version of Camera, if you've ever heard the original version of Camera, it's a very long, slow, ruminative number. We discussed it in our R.E.M. episode with Matt Welch. Uh, very long, slow, ruminative number about the, the death of one of Michael Stipe's friends. Pavement's version is faithful in that respect, but it is also has that indie, lo-fi, screechy sound to it that will initially put people off, but that to me, I ultimately feel is superior to the original. And I loved the original so much that there was no way that I could let this episode end without mentioning it. Installation set up on your bedroom floor. Let you sing about the photographs side it's you can find it on the crooked rain crooked rain uh, two cd reissue or you can probably find it on youtube too what a fantastic cover not for everyone a song that is for everyone is by a band that people think of as a one-hit wonder uh mott the hoople mm-hmm. mott the hoople is not a one-hit wonder <laughs> good lord people mott the hoople is one of the great British hard rock bands that got, once David Bowie intervened to save them from dissolving, a little more theatrical and were still great. Oh my God, Mott the Hoople is a fantastic band. Early in their career, they were a hard rock act that tried to fuse the Rolling Stones and Bob Dylan into one uh, you know, complete whole and I think did a pretty successful job of it most of the time. Uh, on one of my favorite albums of theirs, which is called Brain Capers, uh, they have a fantastic cover song of Your Own Backyard, which is a song that I think most of the people listening here aren't going to be familiar with. It's by Dion, Dion of Dion and the Belmonts. Uh-huh. If you guys know The Wanderer, 
Um, she's kind of an early 60s thing. Dion went on to have a rather itinerant career, got addicted to drugs. I believe he may have gone to prison. He cleaned up his act. And then he wrote this song. This song is a really painful and beautiful song about, uh, you know, as I said, you know, cleaning up your own backyard. And it's very frank. He talks about like, you know, I got high, you know, I, all, all the drink, all of the drugs. It meant so much to me. And now I'm free of that. And Mott the Hoople does a version of it that is, you know, very starts off very quiet and it never gets above a roar. It's not a rock song, but man, it is an intensely moving interpretation of it. It's basically Dion, uh, your own backyard, as sung by uh, an English version of Bob Dylan. And if that doesn't appeal to you, then, you know, you know maybe you and me, uh, our wavelengths <laughs> may not be the same. Since I've been Final one I want to mention, and, I, and the way I think that this is the best possible way to to end the show, is uh, a cover version by Richard and Linda Thompson. Uh, Richard Thompson uh, was the former guitarist, songwriter, singer for Fairport Convention, who we discussed earlier. Uh, once he left them, uh, Sandy Denny was no longer, of course, part of the band, so he he wanted to find a woman who could sing his music, uh, and then he found Linda Thompson. We ended up marrying um, Richard and Linda Thompson in the 70s are some of the most magnificent music that you have never heard of. Uh, but one of the most magnificent covers that you have also never heard of that we will end this show with is their version of the classic 60s soul song, The Dark End of the Street. They did it live as an encore during their 1975 shows in England. Uh, it's just a man and a woman and an acoustic guitar singing about love and guilt and recrimination and hope and pain and finding a way to take those incredibly simple elements and transform them into something immensely moving. I... I just recommend this song to not people who like certain kinds of music. You like hard rock, you like soft rock, folk, country, whatever. If you like music, you will like this song.
takes the time to look around If you should see me and I walk on by Oh, darling, please don't cry Tonight we'll meet At the dark end of the street Just you and me They're gonna find us They're gonna find us They're gonna find us someday We'll steal away of the street you and me you and me you and me 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 That is all. And there we are. We'll have, uh, if you're listening, well, you are listening if you're listening, uh, the uh, complete lists from our guests will be up at nationalreview.com in the show notes section so you can see what past guests like uh, Dan McLaughlin and uh, and Tim Miller and Stephen Miller and uh, Jay Caruso, what they chose for their favorite three cover songs. Uh, we invite you to uh, perhaps... Tell us what yours are. At political underscore beats is where to find us on Twitter. You can subscribe to the show at iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or tune in. New episodes most Mondays, also at nationalreview.com, where you can find uh, new episodes and old episodes there as well. We invite you to listen, enjoy, share, and, of course, leave reviews as well. Uh, Jeff? Fine selections for our favorite cover songs. What do you think? Uh, every 25 shows or so, we, we get a chance to do something like this? Man, I enjoy, I enjoy this one so much that we should do it less than 25 shows. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. At Esoteric CD is where to find Jeff on Twitter. My name is Scott Bertram. You can find me at Scott Bertram on Twitter. And again, at Political underscore Beats. This has been a presentation of National Review. This is is political beats.